Got, don't even say anything. Here is what we're doing. We are super excited for this episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast. We're going to get into kind of what happens behind the scenes in a minute. But I got this amazing text from Scott about a half hour ago. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And he said, hey, uh, you know, he said, hey, our podcast today is all fired up. He has a flight of tequila and wants to do tequila tasting with us. And it's going to be awesome. So we're going to do our regular intros. Jason hasn't even heard our, our prequel, but Jason Rydell is here from Aspireship. Um, so glad to have you. Uh, I'm excited. Scott's got a big grin, by the way. People might want to stop listening to this one and go watch this one. Like this might be one of those kind of like the dually fire talk thing. So um, I don't even know if Scott has tequila. I don't because it's still 11 a.m. Pacific time. But anyway, oh, he's got a whole box. But yeah, he's got four or five of them. So anyway, so Jason, here's how it works, my man. Traditionally, uh, there's no agenda. You know, we haven't set out any pre-questions. Um, we sort of go wherever you want to go. We don't go where you don't want to go. If there's something you don't want to talk about, send it to us in the chat um, so we don't go down that path. Um, if there are certain things you'd want to make sure we cover, we will. Um, obviously, we're going to ask you about your background and sales, and we're just going to sort of go for it and wing it. So I'm going to you know, kind of stop there. I need to give a, a quick shout out to our to our sponsors of Sendoso, Scratchpad, and Outreach, which is uh, go to click.outreach.io forward slash surf, click.outreach.io forward slash surf. Although, Scott, if you could get somebody to sponsor your Tequila Tuesdays, you should start making them have landing pages that say things like click.outreach.io-tequila. Well, you know, Richard, this is really your arena. You're good at these kinds of things. Right. So, yeah, I, but I'm the idea guy, and then you take yeah. millions off of them. Like, that's... <laughs> anyway. Well, you know. So anyway, so thanks to our sponsors, particularly, although we still yet to have a tequila sponsor, which is kind of bullshit, Scott. Why aren't you? Yeah, that, that, this is a, a big failure of mine that I don't have one particular tequila company. Right. I agree. I agree. So anyway, so I'm going to let, I'm going to kind of turn it over to Scott because you guys are the tequila masters. I'm going to, boy, you start out with the tequila. Tell us what we're doing and then we'll jump into the, to the surf and sales pocket. Oh, by the way, Jason, at the end. We always turn it over to the guest to say, hey, what questions do you want to ask us? This could be a very different format. You could start asking us questions from the get-go if you want and just sort of go down that path. So uh, for those of you who are listening, Jason has been pouring four <laughs> different flight glasses and lift it up again for those. You know, yeah, the- yeah. let me get this on, on camera. Yeah. So not only does he have the flight Look glasses, at that. he's got nice little cocktail glasses with the single cube of ice that's right, right. So kind of like you would do a whiskey like a bourbon yeah that's just sort of got the ikea glasses yeah yeah one one glass two big cubes and uh yeah. four bottles behind me yeah <laughs> I would only have one glass if it wasn't for my wife. glasses actually look like crystal scott looks like something he got at, at target or ikea yeah which i think says a lot about who we are as people right right, right there you know <laughs> welcome to the show jason Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Richard and I have talked uh, on a few occasions about how you know we should have one show where we're just drinking tequila or, or you know being a little silly or whatever. And you're the you're the you're the guy. This oh, is the, this is the first time we've ever just like fully I'm gone. Off. I think it's going to be the highest played episode of all time. I'm just going to go ahead and put the gold right now. Yeah. It should be the highest uh, 
viewed episode of all time. Tequila sponsor for you guys. Yeah. Well, I, I I have a few back here. So let me let me just let everybody know what's going on. Got, I've got Blanco, which is where we're gonna start. And this is a Blanco called Lalo, L-A-L-O. For that. I was just sent this yesterday. It's called Tapatio. It's a reposado, but it's a clear reposado. Yeah. And I don't know anything about it, but uh, it was sent to me by somebody in the uh, Thursday Night Sales community who says their friend makes it. And so they wanted, they, wanted, they wanted an opinion of whether this tequila that their friend is making is any good. All right. So first thing, Scott, your audio sounds terrible. So I don't know how you can, oh, thanks. You know, you can fix it. But I do want, for those of us who are naive, you said it's a clear reposado. Educate us. It's apparently the tequila episode. While Scott's doing that, I'll, I'll say what it is. So when you uh, when you have a Blanco, it hasn't been aged in oak barrels. But when you have a reposado, it's been aged uh, a few months. I guess it used. I guess the standard used to be uh, much higher, like 11 months. Now it's only two months, I think. And then when you have an Añejo, it's been aged in a barrel for years. Yeah. Got it. And do you have a preference in general terms of the type? I do. I, I'm, I'm in a, one, uh, I, I can't one, have Blanco. Right. So when you, when you think about tequila, right? Like so often people think it's so harsh. Does yeah. one, is one less harsh because of the way of those, the reposado? The well, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's kind of the whole thing behind tequila. And Scott's probably got way more experience because my, my tequila journey started about a year ago where I really started to get into it. And uh, I know it's because of a tequila that Scott, I think, hates, which is Terramana. <laughs> so because of the rock going into endorsing tequila, I decided from my bourbon trails to switch over and try some tequilas. And so my gateway drug was the rock's tequila Terramana. And since then, I've been going crazy. But, but this beauty right here, Arete, this is my absolute favorite tequila. But I did have this over 20 years ago in San Francisco at a place called uh, Tommy's Mexican Restaurant. And I, I happen to now have about maybe like 10 bottles of this. Now that I, I have some at my parents' house. I have some, they're, they're away. stashed all over the place. Yeah, this is an emergency. So, but and no in one's fairness, really this. Yeah, in fairness, we keep, we keep tequila in our house for Scott. So we Yeah, exactly. That. So I understand. Just by stash. Yeah, whenever I come back, the... <clears throat> The level is just where it was when I left. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it goes down. Like, you mark it for your kids and to make sure they're not stealing it, right? But, but Richard, also that for me, I keep tequila in my house in case Scott ever comes over. Yeah. Are you in Austin? Yeah, well, Texas to, to Scottsdale. <laughs> Jason, are you in Austin, too? No, I'm in, I'm in uh, Cave Creek, actually, Arizona. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So, all right. So I think we're going to call this the tequila and sales episode. Yeah, um, I think we should. And I'm going to start. What's going to happen is I'm going to have three cocktails during this episode. Just so we're clear. Jason is going to have three or four, but, 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 but my, my three might my poor might be a little heavy handed compared to Jason's. This is yes. true too. I, know yes. this I was, I was, I normally pour a full glass, but my wife told me, she gave me a bunch of rules. She set me up with these glasses, but she said, honey, it's only 11. Just, just, a, just a little taste on each flight. <laughs> but I'm like, that's not, she knows me. Like, that's not how I drink. I have an on and an off and I don't have an in between. So when I'm telling people I'm going to have four that bottles, so it's like, funny. 
Yeah. She knows. She knows what's coming. She knows what's coming. So, so when are we going? Are, are you guys just going to sip along the way, or are we going to do shots? Yeah, we're, I think we're just going to sip them along the way. It's not like a you know. Yeah, we're not. It's not like a drinking game, Richard. We're, we're a little. Old, we're a little old for that. I might. Uh, I, think so. I think every time I say the word "fuck," you guys are going to have to drink. So fucking drink. Oh, oh. No, 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 no. I have been around you. I, I've been around you long enough to know that we would go through a whole bottle if that was the, fuck you, that Scott. was the case. Meatling. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's uh, Jason. Let's let let you tell everybody what your role is over there at Aspireship, what sure. and what Aspireship does, and and kind of how how and why maybe you got started in your uh, entrepreneurial journey. For sure, um, it's funny. I was gonna say I was gonna take us back to the to the sixth grade and talk about inappropriate things because that's kind of podcast this is, and we're doing tequila, but that's where my entrepreneurial uh, spirit started. But at Aspireship, right, um, we do uh, tech sales training specifically, and we help people get jobs. And so um, at the moment, our niche is tech sales. Later, we hope to expand it, but we're doing quite well with that. And my role is as the uh, chief um, technology officer. So um, we've, uh, we're going on about um, almost three years now, I think we're heading towards. Um, so we've been at about two and a half years. And so the first year I built the technology platform, the second year I hired my first engineer and now he's building uh, a different section of the platform and also rebuilding some of the stuff I had built, the MVP. And then now um, we hired a third engineer uh, about two months ago and uh, he, he just joined in is already productive and it's great. And uh, actually I am in the process of hiring a fourth engineer. And so all of our uh, engineering uh, talents at Aspireship are focused on building a platform that uh, facilitates faster throughput on hiring and uh, better efficiency on hiring. Yeah, Jason, so, just stop. Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? Like, it's like the e-harmony of uh, getting people sales jobs. There you go. All right, I met my wife. That is the short answer. That, is <laughs> that, was, that was Richard's love language you just hit right there. His right. literal yeah. love language. Well, just so you know, I listened to a few episodes. I know Richard's style. Like he told the last guest to shut up and uh, <laughs> to hurry up. And, yeah, yeah <laughs> stop with the buzzwords. I want to about two things real quick. Because one, um, I don't know that we've ever had a CTO on. Maybe we have. I'm not sure. So I'm curious about that in relation to things. But I also think that uh, at least for this episode, a CTO is officially uh, the chief tequila officer. Mm. Uh, oh, I like that. Well played. I'm going to change my panel well right played. now. <laughs> well, well played well played jason what what is it like this is good what is it like as an engineer building a product for salespeople? presumably a product and a use that is not your own so for example i've talked to my brother before about building a sales tool my brother is a engineer i don't even know what his title is senior engineering manager something or other at twitter he's responsible for load time and making sure Twitter doesn't crash. And he's got a team of like 400 people around the world. Right, right. right? And I asked him many times over the years, like, hey, how come, you know, why don't we build something and you build, help me build like a sales tool or whatever. And he's like, I don't know shit about sales tools. Right. I don't care. I don't care about that. Right. right. So how did you get interested in, in building a tool and, and a product and a company for salespeople? Isn't that the reason his kids only get, um, you know, holiday and birthday gifts from the dollar store, from the dollar <laughs> right? Yeah. He's, he's not talking about your kids, Jason. He's talking about my brother's kids. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Scott, meaning Scott only sends, you know, Uncle Scott and Aunt Janet only send, you know, Dollar Tree gifts to the to the kids. I'll, I'll take one too, since it's only a dollar. I'm not putting you out, right? 
send me one. Um, or if you're, is it your brother that's only sending them, Scott? Or is it you that's only sending from the dollar store? No, I'm only sending to him because I'm a little <laughs> disappointed in the direction he's steering my nephew and my niece. Oh, that's a good reason. <laughs> That's incentive. All right. So for me, to be fair, um, a, a lot of the, the the sales acumen I don't have, right? So I do have to lean on my head of product, um, Peter, and we lean on um, Christine and Corey and others for their sales knowledge, like Scott and um, Skip and a lot of other folks. Um, and so uh, well, I would say, though, Scott, my forte is much like your brother is in very high scale systems um, and very high load and keeping them up and running. My bread and butter is what they call site reliability engineering. <clears throat> I've done that for over 20 plus years. This shift to Aspireship, part of the reason why I wanted to do it was uh, to be able to build a product from scratch from the ground up. I had built some products at a brief stint. I did it at Symantec and got a taste for that and knew that, you know, building products is, is very hard. But at the end of the day, I wanted to help people. Uh, Corey had a great idea uh, in terms of how we could help people with software and how we could help them get better jobs and have better lives. And uh, I was just like all for it because it it trifected and, and you know, it's just so many different things that came together for me. I had wanted to start a company that helped people. I had wanted to build a whole technology platform from scratch, so on and so forth. And so building that product has been a very different experience to answer your question, Scott. Um, it's different because of the humanness. So when you're when you're building for scale and for load, you're not building for a product experience. Um, when you're building for salespeople, you're really, I always use the bicycle analogy, you're building a bicycle so they can go faster or, or run, you know, faster or move better or whatever. And so Jason, I want to extend. Yeah. Jason, you know, as an engineer, right? Like, you know, and, and I'm biased when I, as I say this, is that you know, I don't know that engineers gravitate to wanting to even build a sales tool. So right. what even made you want to gravitate there? Because, you know, it makes me wonder, like, which is great. Like, and believe me, look, every sales tool that's out there has engineers that are gravitating to it. But until I started talking to you, I'm like, oh, I wonder why, what drew, what drew you to it? Well, what, what drew me to it, again, was just that we had the chance to help people. So I come from, um, most of my experience was at PayPal, Right when you're processing payments for people, you're not really helping them. They're upset when they can't get their money, right? Like a bank, but you're not really helping them. And so I got to a stage in my life where I'm- Scott, when people pay him, he's really excited by that. <laughs> yeah, Scott, I'm sure, I'm sure we all- I haven't even been drinking everybody. I'm on fire. Now, I'm not <laughs> Richard's awesome. Richard's gonna be the one who's the most drunk by the end of this. Right. That's right. Um, so yeah, that that's that's it for me. It's just about helping people. It's not about sales. It's it's just how what's the best way? Because if you came to me tomorrow and said the best way to help people is to teach them how to be chefs, we'd be teaching them. Well, I would personally be on board with that. I can't say that we would do that, but you know, I'm just about helping people. It's really a, my core. I'd rather spend my time helping others than than doing anything else. All right. Well, let's let's do a quick tequila check in. What has everybody had so far? Well, I just I just finished uh, the Blanco. I just finished the Lalo. And, and Scott, was that a three-finger pour or a four-finger pour? Well, it initially was uh, a three-finger pour, but there was just like a finger and a half left of the bottle, and so I just finished it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Lalo, got a, Lalo got a little extra attention. All right. How about you, Jason? What, what did you have? I, I'm actually worried that I only brought four bottles. I should have brought the other three that I had because um, I am I've, I've finished the Arete. And I started, uh, I finished this Don Abraham. This was excellent. I, I've never had this before. This was excellent. I don't recognize that bottle. Yeah, I got this at AJ's. It's a local grocery, but yeah, really good. It's, a, it's an Añejo. 
it's yeah this is good if you ever see yeah. it so let, let let me ask a couple of tequila questions and i'm, and I'm working on this one the, all right so you're you're into your third right. one. i'm 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 going into this one that it was sent to me i'm a little nervous <laughs> I'm a little nervous about the quality of this one, but we're about to find out. So let me, I'm going to ask you guys a question. So when you flavor, and we'll get back into the sales stuff, but when you taste tequila, is it like wine? Oh, it has a little bit of a, a smoky flavor with some asparagus and rosebud. Like, is it that kind of thing? Or oh, sure. I, I, I think so. Jason's shaking his head no a little bit. This well, could be not, not, depends on, yes, there's characteristics to it, but not the, not smoky. That's the, that one, mezcal. I don't like that. Okay, okay. Hold on, Jason and I might have a, uh, we might put the gloves on here for a second, okay? So to answer your question, Richard, absolutely, there are hints of different flavors. There's some that have cinnamon. I've had one that's had a hint of chocolate before. There's vanilla hints in lots of different tequilas. The closer you get towards mezcal, which is añejo and even extra añejo, you start to head towards mezcal, it becomes very smoky, oaky kind of flavored, and, and it could almost be mistaken for a bourbon even because that's how strong uh, it is. So, yes, there's flavorings and hints and that kind of stuff, um, especially if you get into, like, some of the weird actual flavored tequilas, which I don't want to talk about those because that's, like, Scott, bastarding tequila. Scott, when are you, you going to have a, a weed-infused tequila? Well, this is this is my dream, as you as you as you know. So, as soon as uh, you know a couple things hit, and I can focus on goofing around rather than actually working, right? That would be the winning ticket for me. Right. You know, a four a four twenty tequila. I mean, what could trademark that? Now, what though. could be better than that? I would work to trademark that right now. Yeah. Uh, so hold on. I want to hear from Jason because he seemed to, to sort of disagree that tequila has these different flavorings and no, no, no. I've never, I've never had one that has a vanilla or cinnamon. So now what I'm thinking about Scott is just my relative inexperience in the field here. I'm going to need you to actually personally coach me on this. So I think I'll fly to Austin and you'll have to take me through not only a te few tequila flights, but probably a few mezcals as well, because mezcal, I almost assume I don't like it. I haven't actually had more than probably one or two of them ever. Yeah. And so it's yeah. one of those things like, like, you know, somebody brings you a bourbon and they say it's good. You know, it's all, it's all personal. So I've been like that before where somebody brings me an IPA and I'm like, I don't really like IPAs, but then somebody will bring me a really good one. I'm like, this is a good one. Like this is a good one. So you, you need a guide when you're doing this stuff. So I think what I'm hearing you say is you need a salesperson. Yeah, a salesperson. What I'm what see what I'm thinking is how to use the demo. Like, so you need you need Scott to have a paid proof of concept session for you before he demos. I'm going to need education though. Right. So he needs to educate me first on the the problem. It's coming together now. There, I'm I'm going to open up my lake house, which can fit about 15 people easy, and I'm going to hold an event, and it's just going to be like a tequila flight. I'm meeting gonna, of the master class of tequila and business sales maybe. out of my out of my lake house and uh hopefully one of us doesn't drown right yeah that would be <laughs> unfortunate liability all right it let's, seems let's like a good to, setting for it, that let's stuff come back to, to the other topic we're here for today uh jason are you on your fourth drink already yeah like, mm -hmm. 
I told you it's an on-off switch. I told you, and I'm not pouring like Scott's You're pouring. Not picking but... up the kids today after school, are you? No, my wife's doing that. I'm gonna go back through though. I mean, I don't usually work from home. I'm here for this reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That for people in the back, that Jason normally works out of a real office, but because he decided to do the tequila and sales podcast. Okay. He decided yeah. to work from home. I'm already a bad in Jason's uh, colleagues, coworkers, and spouse, they, they, none of them have really ever met us, Richard, but we are already in the doghouse. Yes. <laughs> I, I am already this friend that Jason has in Austin that his wife forbids him to go hang out with. Yeah. I think <laughs> that's what's happened. Yeah. I got a sales question. I want to know about recruiting engineers. Oh, okay. Which recruiting in, recruiting in general is a sales job. Yeah. Recruiting engineers is very, very different than recruiting salespeople. Yes, it is. Talk about in your experience the differences there and maybe specifically talk to those people who are who are recruiters who are trying to fill tech and IT roles. What is working right now? What are some of the challenges right now? How do you approach it? What are the differences between sales recruiting and tech recruiting? That's a, that's a four-layered question, which Richard hates when I do, but yeah. all of those thoughts are flying around my head right now. It's a complicated topic, yeah. Um, so the, I, there is a lot of similarities in hiring, right? We look for um, you know cultural fit and things of that nature, but when, I, when it comes to engineers versus sales folks, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is an engineer doesn't necessarily have to be as articulate or as personable. Um, it, it would be great if they were, but they don't necessarily need to have those skill sets. Um, so I actually look for engineers that do have those skill sets. Um, I actually am somebody who prioritizes soft skills over hard skills uh, to a large degree. I mean, you have to have a certain level of competency to do engineering work, but I really don't care how clean your code is or how efficient it is, because the reality is we're gonna rewrite it about a billion times. What I need you to be is a good communicator and a good teammate. And so what I- makes good, What makes a good communicator to you? Because this is very relevant to say. <clears throat> That's a good question. I, I think good communication is over communication. Um, and so if, if you, you know, think about whether or not you should communicate it, the answer is yes, right? Um, so if you stop to ask yourself that question, if, you, if you're not the type to innately think about it, hopefully, um, you know, we would put processes in place that require communications around uh, the things that are necessary. But what makes a good communicator is somebody who thinks about others, who uh, understands the uh, sort of the racy, I don't know if you've ever seen the racy model, uh, but I think it's about who they need to inform in a decision or thinks about who they need to inform uh, about impacts. And in fact, I've, I've said this on LinkedIn quite a few times, so let me just repeat it here. The number one thing that makes a good developer, according to the other developers that I interview, is a good communicator. Got so it's one of the number one things I look for. Got it. Again, I don't think that's unique to engineers, though. Salespeople need that, too. I'm actually drawing a correlation that so most hires need that attribute. So that, which is why I was asked, like, that's why I keyed in on that, because I wanted to, I wanted to get past the buzzword, as you know. So yeah. talk about working with sales departments, VPs of sales, right? Um, and again, you, because you, you, particularly in your role, you're, as I see, you're steering the engineering ship, so you're not necessarily the product builder, right? which is where the salesperson, you know, wants to come and talk to, I think. So what should a VP of sales or a CRO know about having a strong relationship with the CTO? Internal to a company or 
or in a partner relationship? However you, however you want to answer the question. Well, I mean, for a product driven company, right. Your, your CTO is an umbrella, right? So there's a lot of different, some, some CTOs are more product driven CTOs. Some are more, um, you know, organizational driven or whatnot. I, the thing that a VP of sales internal to the company should know, right, is that that person is likely going to be able to um, help with the effectiveness or the efficacy of the, of the entire company and team and organization, right? Again, I view the chief technology officer of a company as sort of a tool, not in a bad way, but like a bicycle, right? Learn how to use the tool learn how to use technology and, and, and learn the right way to get the information to the CTO and or head of product and or- What don't we know about that? And I'm gonna stop in a minute because I know Scott needs to take a break from drinking, but- and that's, <laughs> but Yeah, right. But what, but what does that mean, right? So, you know, yeah. you're, you're a young startup, right? Um, you know, you have a CTO, you're, maybe you're your first VP of sales. Like you just, got, you just got hired, you used to be the director of sales at another company, now's your shot. Um, and you got a CTO and someone maybe like you who's got a lot of experience as a CTO. What should that first time VP of sales think about when approaching you in, in terms of building a relationship and, and having that stuff connect? Because I think we don't think the way, you know, technically minded people think in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't know that I agree. Um, I, I, I tend to think that humans are very similar. Um, and so, there's a way that you approach any leader, whether it's a CTO or not, which is with you know facts and data and um, limited emotions in terms of your response to an event that's going on that you want to see maybe some changes or improvements made to. You got to be very objective. And so, uh, the only advice I would give to this VP of Sales who needs to build rapport with their CTO uh, in the beginning is um, come in and build the relationship first, right? Like any again, like any other role, come in and build the relationship first before you start. Um, you know, giving too much input um, because you need rapport before anyone will listen to you in any organization, no matter big or small, right? You need credibility as well, right? Cool. So, so they need to come and bring you a bottle of tequila is what I'm hearing you say. That'll work too. Now we <laughs> shortcuts. <laughs> it, gets it, it gets it started. You know, what is it? Uh, compliments cost nothing, right? Neither do. Tequila costs something, but there's ways to get ahead. It's an interesting relationship that um, is not talked about hardly at all. The relationship between the VP of sales and the CTO. <clears throat> there's no, there's no frameworks. There's no like best practices. There's all sorts of stuff that we could find about how the VP of sales should interact with the marketing, the head of marketing or VP of marketing or the, VP of CS. You should meet once a week or every two weeks. You should align on messaging. You should do this, do that. No such framework have I ever seen yeah. for a CRO, VP of sales, and a CTO. You're right. And when you're in a large organization, there's usually these large islands or silos that are created by that. And so, um, again, I, I view it different. I view that, you know, as a leadership team, there needs to be this great communication flow, but that's a whole different yeah. uniform. What's usually out there is what we're talking about, Scott. There's not a lot of communication and it's because of incentives that are, the organization is driven by. 
So yeah. the VP of sales is driven by pure revenue. The CTO is not driven by pure revenue. He's not incentivized. He's not bonused on that, right? The typical engineering bonuses are relative to your base salary and your company and team performance. They're not relative to your bottom line. Uh-oh, here we go, Richard. Yeah, I, say, well, I did that for yeah, Richard. Just, just I did for Richard because this is a juicy topic. Go ahead. So just, here we go. How many, how many technical people have you fired because they didn't get the code right for two months in a row? Or, you know, or well, I've, I've fired zero people ever. Oh, for goodness sake. Zero. I'm actually proud of that statistic. However, it's cost me a lot of pain. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is that a statistic to be proud of? Uh, it's not a goal. I challenge you. It's oh, not wow. a goal. It's not a goal, but it, I am proud of it because I can tell you that I'm the type of person who, uh, and I think a, there's a lot of people like this, but like, you know, firing people will make you sick to your stomach no matter how i agree yeah so but it's difficult for me to imagine it's like getting in a fight i tell my son my two sons i tell him yeah daddy's been in two fights i want them both they're like how old were you i was like six and seven years old <laughs> that was it no one ever messed with me again <laughs> but it's hard for me to imagine that there has been nobody on your team who has underperformed for a particular period of time oh, no, that has existed that didn't that didn't need to be removed. They needed to be removed. Um, the, but you but, but you didn't do it. I didn't do it. Yeah. Here's my question. Did he did he Scott lease them? Because this is how if Scott wanted what is Scott? to have, not firing <laughs> like Scott, if you wanted to have a statistic of I'm not going to fire anybody, I know you well enough to go. How do I make it appropriately bad enough that they quit? So I didn't have yeah. to fire them. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Um, but Scott, I want to I want to clarify this point, right? Because this is an argument my boss and I had. Right, my boss wanted me to fire him, and I said he's savable. I was wrong. I learned that lesson once, and I haven't had the opportunity to fire somebody because of that reason again. But if I did, um, I would because it's it's some it's a management thing. I, I tell people too, right? It's like. There is only so much you can do to save a person. <clears throat> At a certain point, there's very, very uh, high diminishing returns, so to speak, uh, or low. However, you say that when you're drinking tequila. <laughs> <laughs> when you're drinking tequila, you say it and everyone understands. Right, right. So I'll drink more and then everyone gets what I'm saying. That's, that's yeah. the level. But the point, the point is there's definitely too much you can try to put into individuals. And so you got to be very careful as a leader to do that. But again, I haven't had a lot of like people that are um, intentionally trying to be bad at coding, for example, right? Most people do want help. Now, some people are beyond help. And those see, people like But go. see, this, this is the point of contention. He just said that there are some sales reps who want to be bad at sales. Like that's how I interpreted what he said. What? I did not say that. He didn't, he didn't really say that. But this is the point of contention because I, as a sales leader, would never be able to or allowed to do that ever. Yeah, so I agree. That is, yeah, I agree. 100%. I agree. And there's a hair trigger on revenue. Yeah. And, and you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the dynamic that that creates is not necessarily a healthy one mm -mm. at all. There's a, definitely a double standard, and then resentment kind of builds up on both sides, yep. right? I mean, there's plenty of people that I would have loved to keep working with, and you know, 
the Grim Reaper came along and told me, you got to get rid of this person. It's not even up to you. Yep. Right. And then I heard you before say, you know, the, the CTO is not bonused on revenue and everything. And I went, well, time out. Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, and we have those discussions at Aspireship right now, right? Because maybe it should be, right? And it depends too on the company and the organization's DNA. Like, are they, again, are they a product company? Are they this kind of company, that kind of company? It changes some of the dynamics, but I agree with everything you're saying, Scott. I think there's an unfairness, um, not an unfairness. There's a reality to being that close to revenue generation. And when you're that close to the fire, there's an inherent sort of knee-jerk reaction from leadership above you, if you're in middle management or director level, from the executive level to say, you're not hitting the numbers. These are your bottom performers. We have a no tolerance for bottom performers. And and they just- And to your point though, I've yet to see a product marketer get fired. Or an engineer for the same reasons, right? Like there's low productivity, right? There's without a question, you can have some people that are low productivity. They're not going to get paid as much. That's their punishment. But yeah, losing the job though, losing the job, there's less, there's no patience with the, again, with the sales that I see and probably marketing. I don't have- There should be some level of equity of that lack of patience. Like even the product person, right? Like if- if I'm being forced to sell something, but the product's not there yet, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to sell vaporware, and right. the product keeps getting delayed over and over again. I like where this is going. Right. Then shouldn't mm-hmm. that product person be terminated? Be penalized, right? Or terminated and treated equally, I guess, is what we're driving towards, right? The three of us are, are kind of hovering around this topic of the fact that these organizations are treated differently. They're incentivized. Yeah. Differently, and that probably isn't right incentivized and penalized differently yeah yeah Yeah. not the i I agree with you guys but i'm just telling you that there is a truth to what we're saying and how i've seen this handle is that it it, there is a disconnect and there is a different incentive model and that's not right let's take a let's take richard richard hold on let's take a tequila break real quick we need a tequila update okay i am now moving on to heradura legend which is an extra añejo. This was gifted to me by somebody the other day as well. It's pretty good if you've never had it before. It's oh, sort of the packaging that it comes into it comes with is like super attractive. This is like the bottle. Yeah, it's pretty sex. It's pretty sexy. It's a pretty sexy bottle. Whoever gave you that gift probably needs some CTO services. So, <laughs> Jason, I got a question for you. This is a re- this is another recruiting question. Yeah. If we think about it, you know, we keep hearing about how hard it is to hire people in every industry right now, particularly in sales. We hear it all the time. At least because I'm in the Bay Area, I feel like it's been that way for engineers for a long time. But you guys can't find enough of the good engineers. One, am I right about that? Or is it no, Richard, only in places like New York and San Francisco and Austin, which I can understand. And what can sales leaders learn about recruiting and retention from the engineering side because it is so competitive for those smart minds? So yes, it's very hard to hire engineers, number one, to attract them in particular. I wouldn't say to hire them, to attract them because when you're, when you're hiring them, everyone, and this was an earlier question you guys asked, so I'm just kind of circling back. Everyone is triggered, in my opinion, by similar things, freedom, compensation, you figure out what makes up their Venn diagram um, and uh, what they're really after and you deliver on those things and you hire that person. But to attract them is incredibly difficult. 
um, what can sales, you know. So what attracts them? So tell, and you've talked about. You want me to go on on that part? Okay. All right. Um, so in my opinion, this is why I'm a huge cultural zealot um, or zealot. Um, I think, I think that culture is everything in a company. I think uh, safety and trust is what builds culture. And I think that that is where all your productivity come from, but it's also where uh, your people come from who are attracted to work at that company. And so what you need is this idea that um, there's a great group of people trying to work together to solve a problem that they're all on the same page about and those people love and care, each, uh, care about each other. And they're out there um, pushing that message voluntarily because of how much they love and care about each other and the, and the team's mission. It's a hard thing to do unless you're a startup, right? Like an organization that's already large has a very difficult time implementing culture, basically, because they already have one and it's uh, probably not the greatest. But if you're launching something from the ground up, you have the opportunity to build this great culture. And if you can do that right, hiring is a lot easier. And so we've been very fortunate because I was looking at the averages the other day. The averages are 68 days to hire an engineer went up to 130 recently just with market dynamics. And for us, we've been below that average. So I'm very grateful, but I believe it's because of our mission, right? There are engineers out there who connect with a human-oriented mission to help others, right? You have to find those people, right? Same for any company. So if your company's job is not to help people, let's say it's to save lives or maybe something less cool than that, um, you just have to figure out how to find the people that are connected to that company's mission and market directly to those people. So that's kind of what we do and um, why we do such a good job at it. That's awesome. Let's let's shift again. Um, any tequila updates before I shift the topic? Yeah, I just want to say that this is so freaking good. Like I'm just gonna sit here on this now. Like I had them all twice. But but tell this people because they can't see what's it Don Abraham organic organic. I didn't know that. My wife would be pleased. Tequila, hundred percent pure agave, single estate, master distiller name, whatever. And it's an añejo organic tequila. It's from. You know what? I'm not going to uneducate myself. I, can you guys see that? I, I It's too blurry. Anyway, it's, too blurry. it's from a place that I don't even know about. Oh, it says made in Mexico, though. So that's how you know it's good. What did, so flip it to the other way. You, you, you shared a ton with us on, um, oh, my God, we're at 40 minutes. This will have to be the last. Question. I told you we're having too much fun. Don't pay attention to the clock. This uh, is going over. Yeah, what, what do you have? Do you have some kind of work to do after this, Richard? Actually, I was smart enough to clear my schedule after this because okay. I didn't know what state I would be in. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Um, so, or confusion. So what have you learned that you didn't know about working with salespeople? Right. Oh boy. That's a great uh, question. I mean, a lot. I, I'm trying to boil it down to maybe a few things. Um, some of the things we already talked about though, is that there's a, there's a true unfairness to the way that, and we, we see it even internally at Aspireship. We don't have what you would call sales in a traditional sense. Obviously, Alexis sells to partners but um, and, and Christine, but I'm talking about on our candidate experience team, they're really selling opportunity to graduates, right? And the, the pressure associated with results is something I've never been closer to. I would say even in executive meetings at previous companies, while I've been in those meetings, I'm not feeling it because I'm just an observer. Yeah. Now I feel it and I'm very hair trigger about it. And I'll pull people aside all the time and say, hey, like, let's not project our pressure, right? Especially as an executive team, you have to. 
a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's very hard, <laughs> but you know, always be conscious of it. So, so Richard, I guess to answer your question, just the pressure that's on salespeople has been really enlightening for me. Uh, I feel it. I'm very empathetic. And so, um, yeah, it's, I can just tell you that I would never, people have said to me like, oh, you've got, you know, this communication ability could have went into sales. And I'm like, I agree. But like, when you see like what salespeople have to go through, I, uh, I already had, what you know, you medical say? issues in my career. And I, I can, if I was in sales, I think I'd relapse. So, <laughs> so what do you see salespeople go through? Cause we all know, I mean, no, it's live and die by the number, live and die by the numbers. Right. And that removes some of the humanness of it. It becomes very data oriented. It's like, well, you closed it or you didn't. And it also incentivizes behaviors. And I'm a big, uh, like I'm a big, um, alarm ringer of this, right? Like the Wells Fargo situation and many other situations. If you're tracking metrics for the sake of metrics, you're not tracking the behaviors, which is what you're trying to incentivize. They're going to figure out a way to gain the system and hit those numbers. And I don't even blame those people because to Scott's earlier point, they either get fired or don't by the numbers, that the incentives, the, the metrics that you've set up. And it, it just seems a lot of times misaligned for the best outcome for customers and for employees. And so, or salespeople specifically. So, you know, I just find it, I just find it difficult to live in that world. And, and, and I want to be, I want to say something clear because I don't want to paint this grim picture. There's a lot of sales organizations that are great. There is, because we, we have partners that have great sales organizations and we fire partners all the time who don't. Because again, if you're going to, you know, ramp and, and, and um, make unfair, I guess, projections that people need to hit, um, you know, it's just, it's not the right way to, to uh, deal with humans. We, we had a conversation a couple of days ago, and it was about a commissionless sales organization. Everybody's just salaried. So traditional, this is a stereotypical sales org structure. Maybe there's somebody with a $100,000 base salary, $100,000 variable, $200,000 OTE. We were talking to somebody the other day who has done away with commission in their organization and they just pay people 200 grand. And their expectation is you're going to hit quota. And if you don't hit quota, then you're not gonna be here long-term, but we're paying you to deliver this amount of value. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that? Do you think that that's insane? Do you think that's the future? Do you think it's just an interesting kind of test? No, I don't think that that's set up right either. Oh, let's talk. Tell us why. Tell us why. Well, having a flat rate for everybody um, doesn't, because um, uh, who am I to know if they're setting up projections that I can really hit or not? So I would say, I would start here. If, there, if I can hit those milestones for 200 grand and I'm okay with the 200 grand, that's cool. But most salespeople I know uh, that have been doing it a long time make far more than 200 grand. <laughs> so there's well, whatever this... the number is, but there's a different <laughs> number. Change the number then. Well, what I'm saying, well, okay, there's the number, but this is an individual negotiation for each person, right? So each person's expectations of compensation need to be aligned with the results that they need to deliver for the organization. And so I find it difficult to do that statically across a, a large group of people. Right. Mm. So that's hard. But I do like that everyone's treated equally. 
I do like that. I mean, I like things like that, but again, I don't, I don't view salespeople and maybe we want to talk about this as uh, people that are motivated by the, the equal and fairness. I think they're very competitive in nature and they're like, Hey, how can I sell the most? Right. And so I think I can sell the most, therefore I can make the most. And so I want a job that enables me to do that. I don't know that a lot of salespeople just, again, their DNA, their motivation would say, Hey, yeah. I just want the 200 K and I'm cool with that. Yeah. No, I, I think they'd come I, in and be like, dude, don't fucking cap me. I want to make three, 400 K 500 K. Why the fuck are you capping me? Like if I can sell more, why you not let me sell more? And so those are the challenges with shit like that. There's a lot, there's, those are, there's lots of challenges. I mean, this particular organization might say, well, if you want to make 500 K, then you sign yourself up for bringing in this number and we'll pay you 500 K. Right. Yeah. It's a, it look, it's a, an imperfect yes. variant, but it is an interesting variant and one that's got a little bit of momentum, a little bit, just a teensy, teensy little bit. But I want to go back to engineering for a second, because the comp, this audience may not have the idea of what, how compensation structure for engineers is too. So engineers make very similar money, but they do it with equity and bonus and things like that. But the again, it's not attached to the same like bottom line revenue. So I view it as like, you can't be as instant with your return as an engineer, right? You don't get quarterly bonus. You don't get monthly, you know, payout, anything like that. So, um, but there, <clears throat> everyone is pay for, pay for performance. And that includes engineers. So when engineers do better, right, they are rewarded with more equity or more, bonus or whatever. So it's a similar system. And so I, I do believe, and this is just the that that works for everyone is that the harder you work, the more you should, the, well, maybe not the harder, the better you work, the more you should be paid. Go ahead, Richard. What were you saying? I was just saying, you know, it's sort of similar, but except on the downside. Yes. Yeah. The downside's different. The upside's I think similar. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. However, it's interesting they'll give the engineers more equity, but they won't give it to the sales reps because they think that the that is a great distinction. I've been I've been looking at that a lot lately, which is again, this goes back to salespeople get paid for immediate performance, engineers get paid for later value created. And it's very, it's very different. Like how the because think about that for a second. An engineer takes equity, but doesn't get a payout of you know the immediate return on the sales that they've done, right? But later their return could be, not always, could be much greater if it's equity-based, right? Because if you look, and Scott and I had this, Scott always, <laughs> one of the first times Scott and I had a conversation, I said, everybody's an owner in like a future company. Like, like you will own your own corporation. You are your own corporation and you will um, go out and uh, just contract yourself to different companies. Why? Because ownership's the key to like wealth, right? Um, according to certain people. And so salespeople, get immediate like 500 grand a year but here's the thing you're you know people who have made that kind of money it goes like that right like especially if you're leading that kind of lifestyle so the reality is like if you're talking about long-term wealth building you want in my opinion equity and sometimes or most times it's slated uh, or slighted i don't know for engineers because they're getting equity and salespeople are not and that's a problem maybe we should start giving salespeople equity for what they're building instead of the well, immediate that's, return that's but we'll take both for that right right because one 
you know, we're, we're designed to do this. And then you're going to take that story and build a case study and get that logo to go get another logo. And, and yes, the sales rep certainly does that. And now I can see that the equity play may not be even between an engineer and a salesperson. Salesperson may not because they're getting a cash incentive. I get it. Like engineers are, are there, but I 100% agree with you. And it's interesting because this debate occurs. It's actually already happening in some instance with SDRs when SDRs get bonused when the mm -hmm. deal closes, even though they had nothing to do with it, it's like, hey, we should do that because they put a lot of effort in in the beginning. Right. But it's not extended to the sales person to say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you've got this. And there's certainly not additional equity ever being given to salespeople. Yeah, I think it should be a choice, right? Your compensation package, your total compensation, and that includes vacation, that includes whatever the fuck you want to travel the world, I don't care all of that in this bow, but people should have the option to take equity over cash. That should be a thing. Ooh, so I like that. Scott, what do you yeah. think? I actually like the idea of letting people kind of choose their own adventure like that. Yeah. But what I don't want is a situation where a company becomes a Turkish flea market and whoever knows how to negotiate the best gets the best packages. I want there to be like a, listen, Jason, you can choose option A or option B. Yeah, yeah. Whichever one of those makes the most sense for you and your personal situation, yep. have at it. Because if I have already made a good amount of money, mm -hmm. I might not care about the extra cash right now. I That's might right. be like, you know what? I'd rather defer That's right. and take on way more equity to get a bigger, bigger payday later on. But if I'm the opposite and I'm not flush, let's just say, I don't care about all that equity. I don't want to wait seven, 10 years. Fuck that. Pay me now. You need it now. Right? right? So if there's just a couple options like that for each person in different departments based on their role and everything, I'm okay with that. Again, what I don't want is Jason making more than me because he negotiates better yeah. and Richard making more than both of us because he's a master negotiator. I think that that's cancerous. I a thousand percent agree with you. I think the AB package is the way to go. And I think what's interesting is like PayPal was a very stock heavy company at the time. They're not anymore. And Symantec, where I work, was a very uh, cash heavy company. So your, your package was cat, you know, salary heavy versus stock heavy. But to Scott's point, like you should be able to choose those uh, and defer your compensation uh, and build that value because again, I want to talk a second for the value that salespeople build because we're not really like harping on that and we should. Um, the way that an engineer builds product and platform, it's a tangible kind of thing. So people see it and they feel it and they feel like there's this value built in it. And that's all true. But there's also a ton of value built in partnerships with companies or customers, right? So it, it literally you can make or break a company's future by a partnership with XYZ company right at, at, at the certain right at time. So that's why I think the equity uh, conversation is so important because again, contributions should be um, look considered uh, from, from a perspective of ownership. Um, you know, that goes back to the pay for performance, right? And then your, your, how you choose to be paid should be to Scott's point, A or B. I like that. I like, I was, I'm just taking note on this compensation uh, reflective as ownership. There's a shocking number of 
organizations that have this negotiated comp package. I can't believe how many people I talk to that, that I look at sales orgs that I go work with and there's five, six people in there and all of them have a different salary and OTE. And I'm like, what is happening? Just all over the place. Yeah. Well, it, you know, and it's, you know, is some of that based on experience though, Scott? You know? Sure. But aren't you going to, aside from our personal, like we like to give each other shit, you're going to try and out negotiate a higher salary than what I got. I don't know if that's true. It, so let's say we were both applying for an AE role. Right. I would expect there to be this level pay for AE1, AE2, AE3, whatever, right? And if, so, and if I had the experience to be an AE3 and you only had the experience for an AE1, I don't feel like I'm negotiating against you. I just feel like that's the comp band. I'm, I'm going to so make more. It when it's the same role. It's the same role. Everything is the same. Same quota, same everything, but Richard gets... $80,000 base and I got 95 and Jason got 76,000. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like they're all going to talk. Every sales rep is going to talk to each other and figure out they're all being paid differently. That is going to end badly. Yes. And this is my advice for sales reps who go into interviews and they, you know, if they want to negotiate the salary lower than what you know your worth is one, Tell them that's not what the market rate dictates. And two, if I took that lower salary you're asking me, you shouldn't hire anybody who does that because that means they're going to lowball every one of your deals because they're going to take whatever they can get to get it done. You should be hiring the people who make you pay more. So anyway, that's my last tirade of the moment of the day. Tequila check-in, and then maybe do we do we move to wrapping this up? Well, where are we? Scott, how drunk are you? Oh, I got a long ways to go. I'm just kind of... <laughs> Are you feeling it? I, I feel a little warm right now, but I can't tell if that's just because the heater is on in my house against my wishes or if I've, if I've had enough tequila to warm me up a little bit. I can see how red I'm turning on camera. So therefore I'm feeling yeah. good. Yeah. Are, you, are yeah. you buzzing? Are you doing okay? Oh yeah. I've been buzzing for God, a while already. Cause I'm on my third, I'm on the last cup of my third round. So, I mean, I've, I've done 12, like, <laughs> tequilas already. He's had 12 oh sips. God. He's had 12, 12 sips. 12 sips. He's had 12 sips, Richard. Well, Jason, are yeah. you going to go build some code in a few minutes? What are you what's, what, do? what's funny to me, what's funny to me, you're, I'm not going to do that, but what's funny to me is, like, the ice cube has, like, you can tell which one I've had more of. Giving <laughs> <It's laughs> it away. I can look back on this journey and go, oh, okay. I liked that one a lot. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, in a minute, we're going to let you ask your question or questions to us. We'll, we'll go yeah. as long as we want, because this is a good one today. Uh, obviously, a shout out to Scratchpad, Sendoso, and click.outreach.io forward slash surf for sponsoring us. We really appreciate it. Um, so thank you to all those folks. And if you are in need of those services, by all means, be sure you check them out. Jason, what questions can we answer for you? So actually, my questions for you guys are more personal. Um, I'd like to understand where your partnership uh, plans to go in the future, um, you know, with your podcast and with your Costa Rica, which I almost crashed. I mean, I don't know if it'd be considered a crash, but Costa Rica is on my bucket list. So with all that stuff, where, where, and I'm talking specifically about your guys' relationship, where, where are you guys taking this? Go ahead, go ahead Richard. Well, I'm, I'm going to let Scott go first. 
Oh, I thought you were about to, you know, <laughs> take over. Uh, where are we going to take this? <clears throat> Frankly, uh, I hope to not be working much more than five, six years from now and kind of wrap it up, which hopefully takes Richard and I to the golf course quite a bit and uh, maybe a little bit of travel and some things like that. Um, long ago, when we first had this surf and sales idea, at first it was like, okay, can we do one a year? Can we do two a year? Can we do three? And my goal, my end game goal has always been, can I do one a month for a year in 12 different places mm. and just sort of chase an endless summer, so to, so to speak, right? So January, Mexico, February, Costa Rica, March, Nicaragua, that type of thing, all the way through the year. And, and selling out 12 of those is like amazing. But in order to do that, you can't really do anything else. And mm. Richard runs his sales coaching business and I run my consulting business and Thursday night sales. And, you know, I think those things would have to kind of go away a little bit, if not all the way to put that much energy and attention into serpent sales, the podcast, like, I mean, we could do this full time if we, <laughs> if we got paid enough, you know, we, we like, chopping it up. It's a good way for us to hang out, give each other hell, talk to interesting people, have fun, all that kind of thing. But, you know, we're not going to be Joe Rogan, I don't think, in more ways than one. Well, now uh, that you've experienced the tequila format, I mean, you, you probably want to do this forever. Yeah, well, you know, not everybody is as uh, free with their time and tequila as you are, Jason. Yeah, that's During true. The day, you know, During yeah, the day. yeah. 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 So that's kind of, that's kind of what I, I think. I mean, I, I have this vision and this goal of kind of what's possible. Um, but yeah, I don't know if Richard has like a more practical answer or not. I'm curious. Yeah. So it might not be practical, right? Like we, if we were going to really, and if we decide to really make this the legit business, right. There are certain parts of our current businesses we could back burner and do and it would actually take a little bit more effort of scheduling for us that's the problem it's like it's kind of like you know to get that many people to go to 12 it's like well we got to have the months and the days and the locations and all that stuff ironed out and then theoretically we could build the rest of our businesses around that and we would probably do less of our current business because we're going to do that so it's that effort that scott's talking about so it's easy you know on paper and ideas it's harder execution wise like if we were going to do 12 a month or one a month we could easily do costa rica every month because we're already dialed in there like that you know we just know how to flip the switch kind of with that one um which scott we may maybe we look at like every other month next year um so and and do that so that's one thing that i think but the other piece is that we have a ridiculous amount of assets at our hand we have 300 episodes of the surf and sales podcast um yeah we have video and audio but you just had your best one probably yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah. so exactly why aren't we turning these into 
video snippets and eBooks. And then you become, then you become a little bit like our friend John Barrows, you become a little bit more of a media company. And it's not hard to do those things and you can upwork them and you can get the stuff cut and you can get the stuff, you know, done. It just takes time and the ability to, you know, sort of, you'd have to have hire somebody to product manage, project manage that piece. Um, and then be willing to share socially, which Scott is very, you know, has a just- amazing. I'm not awesome at that. Yeah. Um, but so those are the things that I think we could do. You know, we've, we have talked of, like we didn't even do a, a year in review where we talked about our favorite episodes last year. We did that the first year. We could do, you know, a book, you know, like a, a book of our favorite episodes, our favorite interviews, why we like those things. Like you could do all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, who are our top 10 people? Right, Jason. Jason will come somewhere in the top three. Since you're not a salesperson, I think okay being number three. Yeah, automatic deductions from Richard. So from Richard. Uh, so again, you know, again, there's so many things we could do, um, and we want to do. It's you know, we're going to have to make a commitment, and we have a, we also have a third partner. We have Jeff, who really does a lot of the like the trips occur because of Jeff. The actual event. He does all the logistics, you know. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, it's, you know, it's just that coordination of, of getting those things done. Um, to Scott's point, it is our social game. Like, you know, I don't go hang out with a lot of friends a lot, but hang out with Scott a couple times a week, you know. Yeah. I don't even have any friends. <laughs> Your friends. Uh, I just have, I just have 82,000 people who DM me every day. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so that, I think that's, that's my answer to it. And then the, the other thing is, what can we do? more of like could you know the theory is why don't we do a tequila and sales podcast in addition right. to this one where we do two of those a month right and then we release them or you know there's all kinds of like scott and i have we've had so many billion dollar ideas we've just never executed on right well let me let me leave you guys with this is that um whatever wherever your journey takes you guys if you need uh uh I really think our discussion around sales and engineering and the differences in those worlds, but also the correlations is really valuable to a lot of people. So wherever you guys go, if you need to call on me, call on me and I'm more than willing to come running for you guys. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's so much truth to what you just said and just a massive hole in the market because those conversations don't happen. No, they don't. They don't happen. You could probably go talk to 100 CTOs right now, and Richard and I could go talk to 100 CROs, and we could say, hey, what's your framework for having like a, a killer partnership there? Yeah. Onesie, twosie, maybe have a something, yeah. right? So I don't know. Something there. I got, Appreciate I got it, one, Jason. Yeah, I got one last question, Jason. You were going to crash surfing sales. When are you going to actually just show up? Well, May. to be honest with you, I thought about it in May. May. Yeah, to be honest. So my wife and uh, kids and I, I owe them an epic trip. And we currently have Vancouver booked. But with the pandemic, uh, Canada hasn't, you know, reduced their restrictions yet. So we may end up in Hawaii or I haven't spoke to my wife about this yet. So it's a big if Costa Rica. But Costa Rica is number one for me on my bucket list. Trust me, you want to come to Costa Rica. Then you know the smart thing to do is is to you come and then have them come after you 
Well, the smart thing to do is just have a spireship sponsor. So yeah. it doesn't even come out of Jason's pocket necessarily. Oh, okay. It really comes out of Christine yeah. and Corey's yeah. pocket oh, the most. Okay. And then Jason Jason sneaks in there. Yeah. Right? Me? And that and that could happen as soon as May. It works for me. Yeah. Yeah. See? All right, man. We appreciate you spending some time with us. This is a lot of fun. Very different, unique kind of episode. And uh We'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Guys, honestly, it's an honor to be here with both of you guys. I've listened to quite a few episodes now in my study, but obviously uh, I've been interacting with you guys for a long time. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you both. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thank you very much. And we're back. So you thought we were done, but we're not. So this is that bonus trailer that you get at like the end of every Marvel. Yes, it's a secret scene. My kids call it the secret scene. The secret scene. So. We got. We were getting offline, and, and Scott brought up a topic. So, uh, Scott, why don't you introduce the topic, and let's talk about it for a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about something that we didn't get a chance to touch upon. So it's a perfect secret scene. And, and sometimes salespeople and sales leaders feel like engineering is over there building things that they think are cool and that they think are needed for the product and for customers. And sales is like, hold on, nobody cares about that. I need you to build this because everybody won't buy unless we have this. And there's good and bad ways to have that conversation. And I was terrible at it at the beginning of my sales leadership career, honestly. I would go into a exec meeting and say to Jason, listen, dude, nobody will buy because we don't have this. You have to, you have to build this. I don't understand the problem. Drop everything that you're doing and build this. What I learned over time was to be a lot more specific and quantify everything and say, listen, Jason, I'm hearing all the time that we need an integration with X. I have right now in our CRM 47 accounts that are blocked with a closed loss reason of no integration with this. Those 47 accounts represent 4.7 million in potential revenue. And then I bring that to you and I show you and everybody else this information. And I'm like, what do we have to do to get this high on the priority of your kind of, you know, release schedule and product queue and all that kind of thing? What would it cost you in engineering hours and time to build all that? And is it, you know, a massive ROI for us? How long would it take? All that kind of thing. This whole conversation never gets talked about. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. nobody trained me. Nobody coached me on it. Nobody, um, there was no podcast I listened to or book that I read. I just stumbled upon the right answer because I could never get what I wanted. Yep. And eventually I landed on something that kind of worked. Yeah. And I don't even know if what I just described is the perfect way to do it. So yeah. I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. And uh, I think it's probably beneficial for anybody who's in a sales leadership position, how to get shit done yeah. on the engineering side. So engineers, uh, so first of all, Scott, I would have bought what you sold on the, in the latter half, right? The former wouldn't have worked, right? So like anything else, you talk to your kids, you yell at them, they turn off, right? 
But if you come at an engineer with a data-driven problem, you say, hey, let me connect these numbers for you. Here's how it impacts our bottom line. You know, I'm going to get 4.7 million from XYZ customers if we build a certain feature, right? Engineers can understand that. They can sympathize or, excuse me, empathize with that, um, and they will. But you do have to tell the story right. You know, telling the story is what it's all about. You did a great job uh, giving that example. And I, obviously it was trial and error for you, but that that is the right way, place to end up because that's exactly how I do it. You got to understand that as a CTO, I have to do the exact same sales that anybody external to the organization has to do to get my people to fall in line, right? It's the exact same problem. Um, but what you find with engineers is they are typically, not always, very data-driven as opposed to intuitive failures and stuff like that. So you do want to lead with data and say, look, here's, here's the, the, the facts, right? Here's the black and white. It's you got to do this, 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 and this. And if we do those three things, it's going to net us approximately this. And that's good for everybody right? Everybody wins. You make it a win-win. And that is the way to get things done in an organization. There's really like my two fundamental ways to drive organizational change has always been a win-win and credibility. You build your credibility and then you propose it as a win-win for everybody. And if you can do those two things, you can get people on board to, to uh, drive that change with you. So Scott, I think your methodology, your approach to this is really good. Um, I think that um, sales folks, when they need a feature from engineering and CTOs in particular or head of products to uh, do what they're asking. They need to lead from the perspective of not, I want this, but here's the customers, the specific, to your point, customers that want this. And here's what we can gain by getting this for this organization. And going back to a previous conversation, we had incentives should align towards that, right? So you shouldn't just have your your quarterly, your yearly incentives, you should have your project-based incentives and project alpha or project beta or project um, cucumber, I'm just making shit up, is a project that nets us, you know, I'm gonna use specifics, GoDaddy and Microsoft and Google, right? Good companies. What's the feature that's doing that and how much revenue will be driven to us by that? And uh, connecting all of that story for an engineer will sell it. Have you ever been in this position, Richard? No. Um, I would say, well, actually, let me rephrase that because I was, I was actually thinking differently that Scott would name all of his projects after tequilas when you start. <laughs> about yeah, that's right. Project, Project Dobell. Uh, Project Classe Azul. I think the data-driven decision stuff, I think I was better at um, because, you know, I think, Scott, you know this, I I'm not totally operational, but I have a slightly more operational mind um, of like, okay, well, what is this going to do? What's this going to yield us? So I feel like I had, I did do some of those things once, um, you know, not necessarily with the engineering, but I understand the point and I know how to do it. I, I once had to convince our company how to, why we had to spend $10,000 on a, on a copy machine. Um, uh, shout out to our copy warrior out there from the sales rebellion. Um, because of how much time was being wasted by my reps because they required us to walk across the building to make photocopies every time we closed an order and a purchase. And I was like, you're wasting this many hours a year. So please go get us a fucking copy machine, right? And so of course, when they come back with like something behind my behind our desks, right? Those little printers, like it wasn't <laughs> a copy machine. So like, like, fuck you. So I get the point, like when you can prove it with a data-driven piece, it absolutely helps. I also think too that that's, Scott, it's inherent on the sales side of us. 
when we have to build comp plans. Like we're having to build comp plans around some piece of data and then we have to go sell that internally to the HR or the CEO and those kinds of things. So I think it's already within us. We just haven't, to your point, we haven't exercised that muscle because nobody told us to exercise that muscle. So. Yeah. Again, something that is not talked about enough, no coaching given on the sales side, at least, of how to handle that. Often no feedback given from a CTO, right? So all those years in my early part of my career where I was like panicked, Jason, you got to build this. Da, da, da. No CTO I had was ever like, listen, Scott, little coaching for you, kid. Yeah. You get, this is how I want the, the feedback delivered. This is what I need from you in order to understand whether it's work it, whether it's worth it. I never got that. Right. You know, and I, and I don't, I honestly don't know anybody who, who has. So I do, I, think, I do think, you know, it's interesting though. It makes me think that customer success has it. They've gotten better at it because. Well, ask Jason. I don't know. Does Jason hear from customer success like that? No, no. Uh -oh. to get the information more easily than salespeople because they know how to get that information. I, you know where I hear it from, from product, I hear it from product. And so, um, but the bottom line is, uh, Scott, my personal experience, and I don't mean to sort of overtake it with that, but like it, it comes from like, I had to sell it internally, like I said. And so I'm able to now tell you how I sell it internally. And therefore I can tell someone else how to sell it, um, what I need to sell it. I think a lot of CTOs um, don't go through that progression and a lot of the CTOs I've worked with are a do as I say, not as I do, and those types. And uh, those people aren't, you know, in a coaching position because they've never had to necessarily sell their ideas. They're more of like, I'm credible. I've done something. That's why I'm here. You have to earn my ear. And I think it's bullshit, but um, that is why I think, you don't. nobody said, hey, Scott, young in your career, here's how you do this. But what I know about Scott, just from all the interactions is the empathy that he has. And that's how he was able to get to the solution, which is the story that is connected end to end that connects with not just revenue, but the people, right? How do we solve this problem for, for everyone? And if you can tell the story that way, again, human beings and engineers will resonate with that, with both sides of that coin. I love it. I think that's great. Well, thanks for jumping back in, Jason, for a, for an expansion episode, right? For the secret scene. Secret scene. Yeah. The end of a Marvel movie. Exactly. Exactly. So we appreciate it. Again, a quick shout out to our sponsors of Scratchpad, Sendoso, and Outreach. Click.outreach.io slash surf. Right? Yeah. So, uh, Click.outreach.io slash surf. Otherwise, they won't pay you, Scott. Um, thank you again, Jason. It's been really fun to get to know you on a personal, yeah. personal level. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you.